Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 10th December with me, Ian Welsh. One of the emerging themes from Innovation Forum's Sustainable Landscapes Conference last week was the development of innovative approaches that help farmers lessen environmental impacts and deforestation. And so, a few days ago, I spoke with Sebastian van der Hoek, Forest Advisor at Cargill, about some agroforestry initiatives going on in the cocoa sector in particular. Also coming up a bit later is some information about Innovation Forum's Spring 2022 Conference and Events Programme. First though, is some sustainable business news. The International Energy Agency's latest energy efficiency report has good news and bad. On the positive side, the planet's energy efficiency is on track to improve by 1.9% in 2021, up from 0.5% in 2020, a year of course that was unusual in many respects. The rate was 2% in 2019. However, even this promising result is still way short of the 4% year-on-year energy intensity reduction required throughout the 2020s, according to the IEA. The agency says that it's unclear if the improvement in 2021 is indicative of a sustained trend, but does point to investment trends, government spending on efficiency related to post-pandemic restructuring, and generally higher climate ambition as measures offering encouraging signs. National policies will deliver $30 billion of energy efficiency investment in 2021, the IEA predicts. UK supermarket chain Morrison's has been gearing up to launch its own label carbon neutral chicken eggs in 2022, as announced earlier this year. The latest development has been the installation of insect farms at 10 of its poultry growing facilities so that insect protein can replace soy in the chicken's diet. The insects will be fed on fruit and vegetable waste from Morrison's supply chain. The millions of insects at the sites grow to 5,000 times their initial mass in two weeks and will eventually feed 320,000 free-range chickens at a time. Currently, soy accounts for up to 20% of the hen's regular diet. Up to 70% of Morrison's supply chain emissions come from animal feed. Another interesting initiative in the UK has come from California-based brand Patagonia. The progressive outdoor wear brand is switching stores in the cities of Bristol and Manchester to 100% renewable energy generated at community-owned projects in London. The electricity is provided by Energy Garden, a network of wind and solar installations across the city. Patagonia will pay a premium for the power to support Energy Garden's work with local communities including educational projects and engaging young people on the benefits of clean energy. Biodiversity, and more specifically the crisis in biodiversity loss, has certainly gained a higher profile this year. Transparency on corporate action on biodiversity is of course crucial and the Global Reporting Initiative, which provides one of the leading reporting standards, is going to be working with disclosure platform CDP, the organisation previously known as the Carbon Disclosure Project, to update the GRI biodiversity standard. CDP will subsequently use the revised standard in its own disclosure process. GRI is also joining the Task Force and Nature Related Financial Disclosures Forum. TNFD's goal is to develop a framework for reporting on nature-related risks by 2023. Details of Innovation Forum's Spring Event Series are being released. From the 26th to 28th of April, we'll be holding the next Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference. We'll be focusing on how brands can transform supply chains, scale circularity and drive positive social impacts. The IF team are working on the 2022 speaker lineup. News on that will be released very shortly. Among the 50 panellists who joined us in 2021 were representatives of Puma, Hugo Boss, Nike, CNA and Textile Exchange. And if you're quick, there is still time to take advantage of the £200 launch discount. Just register for conference passes before close on 10th December. 
From the 10th to 12th of May, we'll be holding our Europe-focused Future of Food event. We'll be discussing how food sector businesses can lead a just transition towards transparent, regenerative and resilient food systems. The launch discount of £200 per ticket applies through to the 17th of December. Full details of how to register are online. And the next in our Climate Action Conference series will be held from the 7th to the 9th of June, where we'll be discussing how to engage supply chains in tackling Scope 3 emissions and the route to net zero. Previous climate conferences have featured experts from the likes of Tesco, PepsiCo, Unilever, Walmart and Danone. And stay tuned to the Innovation Forum website for details of next year's participants as they are announced. And of course, to register for the event. More conferences and events will be announced shortly. Following Innovation Forum's Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities conference last week, I spoke with Sebastian van der Hoek, Forest Advisor at Cargill, about some agroforestry initiatives in the cocoa sector. We're going to talk a bit about agroforestry today. So why don't we kick off by talking about some definitions. For you guys at Cargo then, what do you mean by agroforestry? Agroforestry, very simply, is all about integrating trees into agricultural lands and agricultural landscapes at large. It's a, a very broad definition and there have been many endeavors to look into more specifics, talking about how many trees should agroforestry until what should be canopy coverage. But I think it's very important to keep in mind that agroforestry is a dynamic system. It may not function in the way for everyone in the same way, depending on where you are and what you produce. Let's drill into what Cargill are doing then. So in what ways do you think that Cargill is taking an agroforestry approach? We feel agroforestry as a farming intervention as a great opportunity in cocoa growing. There is a great opportunity for cocoa farmers to integrate additional trees into their cocoa farm. Because cocoa by origin is also a shade tolerant crop that by origin growing under shade canopies. What we've seen over the last decades that there is a big transition to more monoculture type of farming with environmental implications and agroforestry can help to revert some of these adverse trends by integrating uh, trees into the cocoa farm. We are promoting this as a best practice in our cocoa supply chain. In cocoa, it's getting more traction because of uh, several benefits that are identified and the research that continuously comes with more evidences of agroforestry systems outperforming on monoculture systems on important metrics such as biodiversity, on-farm carbon sequestration, and also when managed well, the longevity of cocoa production within that system. Tell me how then this approach links into Cargill's wider sustainability goals. In 2018, the Cargill Cocoa and Chocolate business launches Protect Our Planet Strategic Action Plan. And this strategic action plan is our time-bound plan to address deforestation and other environmental challenges in the cocoa supply chain. Agroforestry is just one component of the interventions that we promote into our supply chain. And we do that through our program vehicle, the Cargill Cocoa Promise through which we reach together with our partners and with our clients, cocoa farmers, to promote agroforestry transformation. Let's think a bit about some of the things that have been happening over the past few weeks. So how have the outcomes from COP26 in Glasgow, do you think, focused opportunities around agroforestry? First of all, it's great to see a sheer amount of private sector representatives that were present at the COP today talking about, for an important part, the role that nature-based solutions can play into addressing some of the climate challenges that we see today. Agroforestry is one of those nature-based solutions. 
we've seen businesses taking and countries taking on uh, new commitments to address deforestation. Agroforestry can play an important role into that. Another interesting dynamic that we saw at the climate conference are the negotiations around Article 6 and how countries amongst each other, but also private sector can get involved in international carbon markets. There is a clear appetite to bring carbon markets uh, at the international level to life. And what this means for agroforestry hasn't been that much part of the conversation. But one thing that we know is that agroforestry has a good potential in cocoa growing landscapes to sequester carbon, additional carbon, and remove that carbon from the atmosphere. Now, with the premise of international carbon markets and also the interest of market players to get involved in nature-based solutions is very promising for agroforestry and facilitating and leveraging additional investments in agroforestry as a nature-based solution. Yes, it's certainly true. In the Article 6, of course, refers to all the rules around the carbon markets, which had been unresolved until COP26. So yes, it's certainly a big step forward and the carbon markets have an enormous role to play for sure. You mentioned the Cargill Cocoa Promise earlier. Give us a bit more information about how an agroforestry approach then helps you deliver on the Cargill Cocoa Promise. The Cargo Cocoa Promise is how we work with farmers to work towards a thriving coke sector for generations to come. It importantly leans on working with our suppliers, farmers and farmer groups to strengthen their organizational capabilities and to help them integrate coke farming best practices and environmental best practices into coca farming. Now, agroforestry is one intervention that we promote and that we grow together with our suppliers. It really starts at the farm level, bringing farmers along into what the benefits of agroforestry are. And then very concretely after that, with our partners like Pur Projet or Impactum, we'll sit with farmers to see how in their farm agroforestry can be a meaningful intervention. This is about discussing with the farmer which trees may be of value to the farmer. It can be fruit trees, timber trees, or slow growing trees that promote biodiversity. Then we make a plan about how these trees can be integrated into the cocoa farm, how they can be nurtured and maintained. And we pay a lot of attention on monitoring the development of those trees as they are planted, such that we are assured that trees develop and grow. And when not, we can leverage additional attention or efforts to not let our investments go to waste. How have you found that the farmers have reacted to your use or encouraging them to take an agroforestry approach? What's been the reaction from them? Well, there's no one in my view that understands the value of trees better than cocoa farmers. But you're right, it's not always intuitive for farmers to transition towards an agroforestry type of farming. For an important part, because this was not the standard for several decades and the transition to monoculture type of farming has been very much embedded in public policies in some of the important cocoa growing countries. So there's definitely some work to done to, to bring farmers on board on the short term by raising awareness and offering education and technical assistance. Other ways that we can think of incentivizing farmers to transition into agroforestry is by looking at what agroforestry may mean for farmers' incomes in the mid to long term. One can think of agroforestry as a diversified system. As it matures, not only yields cocoa, but also may yield other products like fruits or nuts or even sustainably harvested timber that then can be marketed in order for farmers to gain additional and also diversified incomes. 
We have actually investigated what agroforestry can mean for farmers' incomes with the UN Environment Programme, the European Forest Institute and Pure Projet. And we find that when managed well, there are definitely income benefits that farmers can gain from transitioning into agroforestry. And I guess that so much of so many companies' targets and ambitions are towards helping smallholder farmers increase their income. So it's great that you're finding ways that agroforestry can help increase and boost smallholder farm income, which is so important. Thinking more broadly then, Sebastian, what opportunities do you see from agroforestry that can help scale up commitments through to 2030 and beyond? I think there is still a great potential to scale out agroforestry interventions across cocoa-grown landscapes bringing many more farmers along to transition into agroforestry whilst keeping in mind that agroforestry may not always be smart farming everywhere, right? But there's great opportunities that also require the right enabling environments. One of the examples that we really need to work on is bettering and improving the way small farmers can access tenure or land documentations. Currently, we find that the majority share of the farmers that we work with don't have formal tenureship on their land, which also makes it challenging sometimes to lay claims on the assets of these land. When we talk about growing trees, it's a long-term investment, a long-term endeavor, and it's important for farmers to have the assurance that the trees that they grow can also benefit them in the long term. And we've seen in the context where we operate that this is an important hurdle to success. Another hurdle to success is the availability of inputs, quality inputs for tree planting. It may seem obvious that a tree bears seeds, but how to make sure that these seeds can be planted and nurtured to survive in the first three years after planting, when that seedling is still very sensitive for pests and disease, for example. Another important hurdle is access to markets for these diversified products, right? So the premise of additional incomes is a powerful one. And there is this opportunity from agroforestry to diversify and improve incomes. But only if the products that one can yield from agroforestry, only if they can be marketed. Well, it's certainly something that is going to be increasingly important. And as you said, in some respects, it's quite a long-term thing, developing an agroforestry approach, planting trees. But of course, at the same time as developing and changing things quickly, we also have to have some long-term solutions in play as well. So getting the balance between all these different solutions is an interesting one. Thank you very much indeed, Sebastian van der Hoek from Cargill for explaining how you're taking a long-term agroforestry approach at Cargill. Thanks, Ian. Innovation Forum's website is the place to go for all the usual insights, analysis and podcasts. And do look out for the recording of a special webinar for hosting case studying the Mayandombe Red Plus project in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And don't forget to register for the Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference and Future Food event to take advantage of the launch discounts. But that's it for now. I've been Ian Welsh and until next week, goodbye. <laughs>